Hello, and welcome to Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast, where you can hear from AI researchers about what's actually going on with AI and what's just clickbait headlines. This is our latest Last Week in AI episode, in which you get a quick digest of last week's AI news, as well as a bit of discussion between two AI researchers as to what we think about this news. To start things off, we'll hand it off to Daniel Bashir to summarize what happened in AI last week. We'll be back in just a few minutes to dive deeper into these stories and give our hot takes. Hello, this is Daniel Bashir here with our weekly news summary. This week, we'll look at deepfake image abuse, new White House AI rules, a call for EU regulation of AI, and facial recognition being used against the police. Our first story is horrifying. On October 20th, Sensity AI made a blog post in which they presented findings of an investigation into a newly uncovered deepfake ecosystem on messaging platform Telegram. The main offender is an AI-powered bot that lets users photorealistically strip naked images of women, according to the post. The bot increases accessibility compared to other underground tools by providing a free and simple user interface where users can strip an image by uploading a photo of the target and receive the processed image after a short generation process. According to Sensity, over 100,000 women have been targeted and had their personal stripped images shared publicly as of August 2020. 70% of those targets, according to self-reporting users of the bot, were private individuals whose photos were taken from social media accounts or private material. This is one of those few stories we've covered that I'd call sickening. While the democratization of AI is a noble goal, we have to understand that there will always be people in communities ready to act on their worst impulses, using AI for terrible purposes like this one. Our next two stories concern policy. According to senior technology official Michael Kratzios, the Trump administration is completing guidance for agencies on regulating AI. As the Wall Street Journal reports, Mr. Kratzios is in charge of the American AI Initiative, which President Trump launched through an executive order last year, directing agencies to give priority to AI in their R&D efforts, to open up data to AI experts, and to encourage training in AI. The Trump administration has sought global cooperation in the development of AI and has paid attention to domestic efforts in response to growing competition from China. While this news comes at an interesting time with the antitrust suit against Google also happening, significant regulation of AI in the United States seems unlikely. Mr. Kratzios notes that excessive regulation could impede U.S. leadership in the field. Meanwhile, in Europe, organizations are calling for a stronger approach to regulation. In an October 21st post, European organizations Access Now and European Digital Rights considered recent developments in the EU AI debate and made the case for a bold approach to AI that emphasizes human rights. Taking note of anti-regulation stances taken by EU member states, the organizations criticize the idea that unfettered innovation always leads to social good and call for strong regulations to prevent rights abuses by the deployment of AI in cases like facial recognition. The Post also expresses disappointment with the European Parliament's framework for ethical AI, criticizing its hesitation to discuss fundamental rights and failure to propose a legislative framework to address threats from AI. After arguing that the default stance towards technology should be that it is harmful until proven otherwise, the post ends with three suggestions for regulators. 
developing a legal framework to prohibit AI from infringing on fundamental rights, incorporating assessments of AI to develop safeguards, and enforcing existing data protection and fundamental rights laws. Our final story returns us to the United States. While many across the world are concerned about police use of facial recognition, one Portland local named Christopher Howell is turning the tables. According to the New York Times, Howell has helped develop facial recognition to use on Portland police in response to officers' attempts to shield their identities. The authorities targeted by such facial recognition systems aren't happy, and this might run the risk of becoming a both sides issue. The New York Times reported in July 2019 that Colin Chung, a protester in Hong Kong, developed a tool to identify police officers using online photos of them. Thanks to off-the-shelf image recognition software, building facial recognition tools like Howell's and Chung's has become much easier. While Howell would like to make his tool publicly available, he's concerned blanket bans on facial recognition might make it illegal. In any case, Howell and others building such technology might be turning the police's tools against them, but could also end up sparking further animosity. It seems that what we need right now is less facial recognition, and not more of it. That's all for this week's News Roundup. Stay tuned for a more in-depth discussion of recent events with Andre and Sharon. Thanks so much, Daniel, and welcome back, listeners. Now that you've had a bit of summary of last week's AI news, feel free to stick around for a more laid-back discussion about this news by two AI researchers, including myself, a fourth-year PhD student in the machine learning group working with Andrew Ng. I do research on generative models, improving generalization of neural networks, and applying machine learning to tackling the climate crisis, as well as to medicine. And with me is my co-host... I am Andrei Kronikov, a third-year PhD student at the Stanford Vision and Learning Lab. I focus mostly on learning algorithms for robotic manipulation and reinforcement learning for robotics. Although <laughs> my current research project is neither of those somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. I actually did want to ask you about your current dun dun dun, uh, uh, I guess, beeline or finish line in sight kind of work uh, Andre is submitting to uh, ICRA, um, uh, one of the top robotics conferences. Um, do you want to talk about your feelings right now? <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. As we've been chatting, I got a deadline end of Saturday, I believe midnight PST, so uh, close to 72 hours now, you know, it's it's approaching. And yeah, it's it's been uh, an interesting process. This is a project that has been done entirely in quarantine and it took, let's say I've hit a few dead ends before finally coming to the right sort of concept and uh, idea and problem formulation. So I'm pretty excited to hopefully wrap it up, submit it and have a result and then take it easy, let's say next week. But my my sleep schedule has definitely been very erratic. I don't know about you, Sharon. I still have not figured out how to do deadlines without completely wrecking my entire routine and any sort of healthy habits I have. That sounds about right. Um, <laughs> that I, I cannot offer advice against that type of behavior switch since I myself uh, definitely am subject to that. I, I find that um, these last 72 hours will be pretty important to major breakthroughs in science. 
<laughs> your productivity there's an exponential curve okay we, we weeks before like the three weeks before the deadline you do 80 percent of a project and then the last like three days you do 20 percent and then the five months before that you do one percent apparently or something <laughs> yeah it's crazy that sounds about right <laughs> um Anyways, hopefully this will give you a, a few hot minutes to step back and look into uh, what's going on in society. So our first article is titled Automating Image Abuse, Deepfake Bots on Telegram. Uh, wow. So this is very, very concerning. So there is a deepfake bot on Telegram that is... Uh, supposedly stripping naked, quote unquote, images of women. So this is, this is an evolution of Deep Nude, which you might have heard about in 2019, uh, which did essentially deep fake women into essentially taking off their clothes. Uh, very, very concerning. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts? Any details that really jumped out at you, Andre? Yeah, I think this is pretty surprising that uh, we've already known that there is this sort of deep new technology and that someone made sort of a very user-friendly tool for anyone to do it. And uh, here it sounds like this is just making it even easier where you just sort of send a message to this bot and it gives you a response. And it's kind of confusing because it's gotten significant... Uh, advertising on Russian social media. So it, I'm assuming this means that uh, this bot is sort of being monetized or, or being promoted by some individuals uh, as opposed to just sort of being a troll effort. Uh, so yeah, very concerning. Um, I mean, Deep Nude's already a terrible thing and a, a definite application of... Uh, deep fakes that was toxic and negative and, and no to be a thing. And it's surprising, I guess, also that Telegram allows this and that this hasn't been reported or probably it has been reported, but it hasn't been taken down. Uh, what do you make of it, Sharon? Any other details that jump out at you? I'm just surprised that this is able to emerge again and that uh, there are over a hundred thousand members. <laughs> um, okay. Maybe I'm not that surprised, but, uh, like I'm one surprised that like there isn't a ban or there isn't, um, you know, just, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I, I know that this is also like, I guess part of the reason why the internet was started, unfortunately, in a very sexist, uh, kind of way. So I, I really hope this kind of technology will be combated um but it does seem like okay this is like another iteration of deep nude will we see this every year now going forward even if we shut these down i don't know yeah i guess that's sort of the the problematic thing is this is just showing a recurrence of a negative application of ai and Maybe we will, like the most negative, the most obvious, the most visible things will just be a problem. Just like, let's say, the internet has resulted in revenge porn, which deep fakes, uh, deep nudes are, could, could be used in that sense. And it's not like a problem goes away. It's not easy to sort of combat it 
And perhaps, yeah, these AI tools are going to become just part of this landscape where, unfortunately, if someone is very malicious and wants to do something very bad, the tools are going to be there. And it's going to be up to companies like Telegram and, and certainly other platforms to make it easier for people affected, uh, you know, for people whose photos are being used without their permission to, um, you know, be able to take action and, and go against it. So hopefully we'll hear back on this story and, and find out that this bot is somehow taking down. <laughs> I guess I would like to see that. Uh, but on to uh, more positive, maybe, depending on your leanings, I suppose, uh, story of applications of AI. Uh, from the New York Times, we have the story activists turn facial recognition tools against the police. And as you've heard, um, this story basically summarizes a few use cases, a few examples of activists making it so law enforcement can be identified. Uh, so that um, law officers whose faces are often partially covered um, can be sort of recognized. If you have, for instance, a video of police violence, um, you could identify the individual police officers and presumably hold them accountable. And so this article has some examples of such things uh, being done in uh, Hong Kong, uh, when there was, of course, a lot of protests there and, and some uh, problems with police violence, of course. And then, yeah, there's some other examples, and this article cites the example of police violence in Belarus as maybe the latest example of large-scale police violence where there are masked uh, police and this sort of tool could prove to be useful. So pretty intriguing, I suppose, and, and that kind of a turning around of a facial recognition story away from the usual of police using it to recognize potential criminals. Uh, what's your reaction to it, Sharon? Yeah, this reminds me of the thing I did a few months back. Um, and I'm so happy it like it's continuing essentially. Uh, it's similar in a sense because we were shielding protesters' faces um, using computer vision. And now, uh, they're kind of turning the technology on its head where it's used so much for, uh, it, it kind of like against protesters, but now protesters are turning it back on the police to hold them accountable. And at the end of the day, I see it as a double-edged sword and it very much is a tool, right? And it's like, whoever wields it and whoever decides how to use it is, is how it's going to be used. And I'm, I'm glad that now, it's not just one side using the technology and the weapon, so to speak. It, it's both sides. And um, I think in both cases, from both perspectives, what people are thinking is accountability is important. And that, like, in both ways, right? <laughs> like, accountability is important. And, and I guess it depends on how you, how you see what is responsible behavior or not. Um, yeah. Yeah, very true. So, uh, as you say... Uh, these are definitely efforts to enable accountability. And so um, in that sense, let's say this is a promising sign. And then also kind of maybe a reminder of the police are using facial recognition more and more. So 
we need some rules and guidance uh, as to its ethical use and some of these uh, some of these are smaller efforts or, or sort of yeah done by activists so they are meant to send a message and i think that definitely is something that is accomplished by making use of these tools in this way one last thing that actually i, I find interesting in this story was a note here that in 2016 an anti-surveillance group in chicago the Lucy Parsons Lab started Open Oversight, a public searchable database of law enforcement officers. And it actually uh, allows people to upload photos of uniformed officers and match them to uniformed names or badge numbers. So if, if you take that example, certainly it seems reasonable that when police are acting in their law enforcement capacity, you should be able to match them and verify that they have a badge and that they're working off of that. So interesting, interesting directions. And I, I do wonder if perhaps you will have regulation and maybe this will even be adopted by, uh, you know, actual governments where you can use your phone to verify that a police officer is actually legally using force or, or coming at you. Uh, but yeah, interesting that this open open oversight project exists. Onto a separate topic, our next article is titled "Tesla is putting self driving in the hands of drivers amid criticism the tech is not ready." Uh, so this week, a group of Tesla drivers were actually selected to get a, a nice software update that downloaded actually automatically into their cars, um, and this. Uh, made it so that their uh, cars could better steer and accelerate without necessarily using human hands or human feet. So power, super powering their autopilot feature, um, though I'm sure there was a bit of criticism because uh, people might not have been uh, either super aware or have chosen to have this feature to be part of the A test and the AB test um, or just like the beta rollout. Um and uh, according to Tesla, hundreds of thousands of these cars will be able to drive themselves as soon as this year. Again, a promise of full autopilot. Um, and this will make it probably the largest uh, fleet of vehicles um, considered autonomous. Uh, that's owned by ordinary uh, people like you and me. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, Tesla is an interesting case. Um because its autopilot seems to work very well. And the main sort of negative feedback it receives from many critics is more to do with how they message. So for instance, they call it autopilot, even though so far we've mainly had sort of uh, assistive cruise control features that many other cars have, or very similar to what other cars have. And now they roll out this update, which they call full self-driving, right? Despite, of course, it not being full self-driving, the, the uh, driver needs to be very much active and uh, focused and ready to take over. It's not like you can let the car drive and forget about it. So it's kind of hard to say that it is full self-driving if the driver needs to be fully attentive and ready to take over. Um, and this update, uh, I believe, makes it so uh, the car can drive not just on highways by itself, but also on suburban or uh, city streets. Um, yeah, so my take is 
it's exciting to see where technology progress, but it's really, I think, clearly ridiculous to call it full self-driving uh, and market in, in its way. And um, I am unfortunately aware of there being uh, already, I think, close to half a dozen deaths due to autopilot uh, crashes with Tesla. There's a whole Wikipedia page on autonomous driving and deaths, and majority of them have been due to autopilot. Uh, due to things like the sensor not noticing a truck or not uh, decelerating in time. So there have been some very, very egregious results from the technology already. And I'm not sure if a trade-off is worth it, if, if pushing out this A-B test could result in more kind of very bad outcomes. So hopefully not. Hopefully, this is just a case of overhyping with technology and drivers will know to stay focused. And I believe uh, the technology does make it clear in the car. I don't know, uh, Sharon, are you aware of this whole uh, story with the branding of it versus what it actually is and then all these problems with autopilot? Oh, yeah. I, I have lawyer friends who are super upset at Tesla in general. <laughs> They're like, this is really bad and we're not even sure legally who should own it. Like, is it consumer protection laws? Is it um, the actual just like the like car safety? Like Because, because we're actually very siloed when it comes to regulation. So um, this is a huge concern. And um, yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm very much... Um, I'm very much worried uh, to, to see this out there. I do very much believe in the Tesla team. Um, and I like, I think Tesla's are awesome. Um, and even though they're overhyped, I definitely, I definitely buy into the hype, but that being said, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's really bad to overstate something that, where people could be kind of stupid and kill themselves. Um, and people will do stupid things. So yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels like they could do more to make it clear that this is nascent technology. You know, uh, there's still maybe issues calling it full self-driving just seems like a recipe for giving the wrong idea, which, which, is not what you should be doing in regards to this technology, even if their team is, you know, extremely good, which they are. And on to our last story, uh, which again is maybe a little more on the negative side and a bit concerning. I don't know why this week we have quite so many uh, more negative things, but I guess that, that happens. So the story is from The Intercept and is about how Google AI tech will be used for virtual border wall CBP contract shows. So Google technology will be used to aid the Trump administration effort to fortify the US-Mexico border. And in particular, uh, it will the customs and border protection accept a proposal to use Google Cloud technology to facilitate the use of artificial intelligence. So among other projects, uh, there is this work on a virtual wall along with Southern Border that combines surveillance towers and drones, blanketing an area of sensors to detect unauthorized entry into a country. Uh, sounds a little bit dystopian for sure. And yeah, basically Google's technology 
will be used in conjunction with work uh, by another company called Andrew Industries, a controversial defense technology startup by Palmer Luckey. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Okay. So, yeah, sounds like... Who's Palmer Luckey? Uh, Palmer Luckey, uh, if you don't know, was the founder of Oculus that created a VR startup and got into some hot water for sharing... Uh, let's say uh, far right or alt right memes. Uh, so he was sharing, uh, I believe, some controversial memes that indicated he had some alt right views, which of course relates to immigration. And now, apparently, he started this uh, defense startup that is pushing the idea of using drones to, uh, you know, check if anyone is trying to cross the border. And uh, in this case, it sounds like Google's technology is being used in combination with this drone surveillance type solution. So yeah, I, I'm pretty surprised. I did not think we were at the point of sort of patrolling the border with drones and surveillance and AI from Google. And Google, in fact, I was getting a little positive about because they have a very uh, active ethics team on AI within them. So this seems like a sort of uh, application that they would not uh, allow their products to be used for. Uh, that's sort of my first take. How about you, Sharon? <laughs> what do you make of this pretty interesting story? I This is a total surprise for me too. I echo that sentiment and uh, we know the people at Google who are, who are thinking about ethics. Um, so this is really surprising, the fact that they you know, rejected Maven and now they are doing this. This seems, I don't know, is this worse? I don't, I, I don't even know. Like this is pretty bad. Um, so I, I am a bit concerned where this is going. It's almost like, it's almost like these companies are like, Oh, we can't do something bad with facial recognition. Let's go find some other way to use it or something. I don't know. Cause I think we recently saw Microsoft or something, someone else do, do something like this too. They're like, Oh, you know, maybe we can, we can use it over there. Um, and yeah, I don't know. This doesn't seem to be, uh, improving things. We'll see how far this goes. I hope people internally at Google are enraged. Cause I do very much believe in several individuals there, including Tim McEbru and, um, and, and Jeff Dean, to be honest. So yeah, exactly. Um, this article does note that in 2019, over 1,000 Google employees signed a petition de demanding that the company abstain from providing its cloud services to U.S. immigration and border patrol authorities. And so it seems like Google ignored that petition here. And uh, it's unclear. Maybe, uh, I guess it's very beneficial to be working with the uh, government and the military, and that's a very lucrative sort of contract. But as you say, I'm hoping that there's a lot of internal pushback. I think us as researchers who very well could work uh, with Google or at Google, uh, you know, I personally would be quite uh, angered by this and I would sort of try to make my voice heard internally. So we can hope that uh, that is being the case, I suppose. Right. And there was a petition internally before, so we'll see. Uh, I feel like this article is coming out at a very interesting time uh, with less than a week before our, before the election. Um, 
I can't imagine people being okay with this if they were not okay with Maven. So I, I actually am, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very surprised to see this, uh, and whatever leadership thought they could kind of get away with this. It's, um, it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting. And I, I do think The Intercept uh, does pretty good investigative journalism. So I could see this being maybe a bit more covered up per se or, or done by some other team. So I guess, as you say, we'll, we'll have to see how this progresses. Right, definitely. Well, and with that, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Skynet Today's Let's Talk AI podcast. You can find the articles we discussed here today and subscribe to our weekly newsletter with similar ones at skynettoday.com. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave us a rating if you like the show and a review is of course also appreciated. We could use your feedback. Be sure to tune in next week.